0: That we get to worship together. Hey, uh, before I jump into what I want to talk to you about, one thing that we forgot to mention, and it's not in your program uh, this next Saturday, we're going to have a work day here at the church. Kelly mentioned that we're only four weeks away from Easter. Hard to believe that, but Easter's right around the corner, and so we want to spend some time kind of getting our house in order, beautifying the church. There's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be done, and so for all skill levels, so we invite you to join us Saturday morning. We'll be here from 9 to 1 or so, and so you can drop in anytime during that time and, uh, and help us with that. We'd love to have you join us uh, for that. So uh, what I want to share with you this morning is um, I want to share a passage of Scripture, and If you've ever felt stuck in a situation that you didn't choose, or uh, you know, if you ever felt like you were kind of a casualty to circumstances that were beyond your control, then what I want to talk about this morning is for you. This passage of scripture is for you. In fact, uh, there's a great truth in this passage that I want to share with you this morning that I believe if you can grab onto it It'll not only revolutionize your life, but I'm convinced that for those who get it, it really will bring freedom to your life. And I probably ought to tell you this up front. What, what I'm going to share with you this morning, it's, um, it's for the mature, this is not elementary teaching, all right? We're going, to go, we're going to kind of go deep here this morning, and this is not an easy teaching. It's a hard concept to wrap your minds around, and so hopefully you brought your thinking caps and you're ready to go this morning, but I've been looking forward to this morning. This is going to be good, uh, but if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one, and Philippians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted about 10 years Before the writing of this letter and so he's writing this letter to a group of people that he loves he's invested in and that he wants to see them grow not only in their relationship with Jesus But but he really desires that they begin to be used in order to further the purposes of God And so Paul writes this letter we're going to jump in at verse 12 and uh, we're going to read a number of verses here but uh, we'll begin in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul writes this. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I want to pause here for just a moment. What has happened to Paul? What's he talking about? Well, Paul has been arrested, he's been falsely accused, he's been arrested. Uh, Some of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem didn't like the fact that he was was preaching this good news of Jesus Christ, and so he's been falsely accused, he's been arrested, he's been taken to Rome, and he's chained 24-7 in a prison to a Roman guard. And so he goes on, he says, that my imprisonment, what's happened to me, has actually served to advance the gospel. He says, as a result, everyone, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am, and this is a really strange phrase, Paul says that I am in chains for Christ. Now now hold on a second here. Because, I don't know about you, but I've kind of always thought that, that when, you're, when you choose to follow Jesus, then you'll be blessed by Jesus, and, and being blessed by Jesus means that only good thing that I'm in, the reason that the situation that I'm in, the reason I'm in chains is not because I've done something wrong. The reason that I'm in chains is because I've done everything right. I'm here, in prison, in chains, because of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, we don't want to say amen to that, do we? All right, we'll go on. He says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He says, Now, it's true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And then I love this, he says, but what does it matter? You know, whether they're preaching it for selfish gain or to stir trouble for me, or whether they're preaching it out of sincerity, he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. And because of this, Paul says, I rejoice, He goes on, he says, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death and then he speaks these very famous words he says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain man this is so good just a couple more verses verse 22 Paul says if I'm to go on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for me yet what shall I choose I don't know I mean I'm torn between the two I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far He says, but but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, Paul says, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as Paul writes this letter... He, he's writing it where he's in, a, in this stage of his life. You know, he's a little bit older. He, he's become very mature in his faith. He, he's been through some stuff in his life. He's had to endure a lot of hardship. He's had some difficulties in life. And so he's been through some stuff. And he's writing this letter to a group of people who are looking at him and they're wondering, okay, what is it going to mean for us to follow Jesus? In this current climate that we live in, where being a Christian is not a popular thing, in this current climate, what is it going to look like for us to truly follow Jesus? And so what Paul says to them, you know, it's kind of crazy when we think about it. It has to even kind of blow them away, I think, because he says, for me, what following Jesus means is personal sacrifice, imprisonment, chains and ultimately my life now when I read Paul's words I'm confronted with the fact that his words kind of just fly in the face of the modern Americanized version of Christianity that most of us have grown up with most of us have taught and many of us have adopted in our lives you see, you know, that, that, that version of Christianity where following Jesus is mostly about how can God serve me rather than how can I serve God. It, it's as one, one person coined it, it's the, you know, what's in it for me gospel. What have you done for me lately? And we forget, as I, I prayed in my prayer, that Jesus already did everything for us. And and so it kind of flies in the face of this version of the gospel where, where it's mostly about, God, how can you serve me? How can you make my life easier? How can you make my life more comfortable rather than me serving him and sacrificing my life in order to move his purposes forward? Paul says, for me, following Jesus, it means imprisonment. I followed him into prison. For me, it means chains, which, which was in, it's interesting because he, he says, you know, I'm perfectly okay with that because I understand that my chains, my imprisonment are serving a purpose. They are serving for the advancement of the gospel. You know, what's really interesting about this, I was doing some study this past week, and I I was reading about the book of Philippians and about Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And many scholars consider this letter, this book in the Bible, to be one of the most joyful, happiest books in the entire Bible. And when you think about it, it's kind of crazy because it's it's, it's considered to be one of the most joyful books, and yet it's written by an individual who's serving time in prison, who's in chains, who's been treated unjustly. Who's in the worst of circumstances, and yet he writes the most joyful of all books in, in the entire Bible. And, and when I think about that, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy, but apparently Paul has somehow gotten to this point in his faith, he's grown beyond this, you know, Jesus, what can you do for me? And realize that Jesus already did everything for him. He's grown in his faith to the point where he's come to the understanding that real joy, genuine faith, those things are not dependent upon whatever circumstances may or may not be happening in his life at the time. In other words, that whatever's happening out here doesn't have to control what's happening in here. That there's something that has happened in here that is bigger than what's happening out there. And Paul has come to this point in his life where he understands that it's more than just about what's happening to me out here because I can't control those things out there. It's about what's happened in here. And I love what he says in verse 12. He says this, as he's writing to his friends, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me. And then what's crazy is he doesn't go on to say hardly anything about what's happened to him, which is, you know, it's really strange for us because most of us, if we had been treated the way Paul was treated, that's all our letter would be about, right? Right? I mean, that's what we'd want to talk about, but Paul, he doesn't do that. He doesn't moan about the fact that people have lied about him, and so he's, now he's unjustly imprisoned. He, he doesn't beg for his friends to organize a protest party, you know, and, and raise some money and hire the best defense lawyer in Rome so that he can be set free. He, he doesn't complain about how horrible the prison food is or how cramped his living quarters are or how mean and uncaring the guards are. He doesn't talk about how worried he is that because he's in prison, he's sure that the gospel probably isn't going out with the velocity it went out with when he was leading the charge because, you know, after all, he's Paul and no one can preach like Paul. And, and since he's not out there preaching, then, then the whole thing's probably fallen apart. He, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually. Everybody say, actually. actually. Good. Most of you are still awake. That's good. <laughs> he says, I-, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually. Actually is such an interesting word. Actually is a word that we use when everyone thinks that because of a circumstance that they're sure this thing is going to happen. But instead, actually this thing happens, much to our surprise. You know, you know it's kind of like like if Brett Wilson and I were going out to play golf and I were to say, hey, we played golf, and actually I drove the ball further than Brett did. You know? <laughs> if you've ever seen me golf, you would know that there's no way that that would happen. But actually it did. It didn't really happen. But for the sake of my, actually, it ha- you know, it's a surprise. Or, or even a bigger surprise, that after we played golf, Brett actually bought my lunch. So, <laughs> you know, it's a surprise. Something that you would never think would happen actually happened. And so this is what Paul is saying here. This word is such a powerful word. He's saying, he's saying uh, guys, that, 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 that actually what has happened is not what you would think has happened. It's a surprise. My unjust imprisonment. Instead of hindering the spread of the gospel like everyone would think would happen, instead of, instead of people you know, being afraid to talk about Jesus because, because what happened to Paul might happen to them, and so they're cowering in fear. Instead, Paul says, I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Who'd have thunk that? These negative circumstances, as people have seen it, everybody would think, oh, everybody's going to cower in fear. And Paul says, no, no, no. What's actually happened is that my chains have served. My pain, my discomfort, my circumstances have actually served to advance the gospel. And this word that Paul uses for advance, man, our language, our English language, it's so limited. Um, But this word that that Paul uses, it's such a powerful, forceful word. It's not a word that means to just kind of move along easily, as most of us think the the way that the will of God moves along, you know, really easily and smoothly. It, It doesn't mean that. This word that Paul uses here is a word that actually means to make progress or to move forward in the face of extreme resistance or opposition. The gospel is advancing in the face, not not with ease, but in the face of extreme resistance and opposition. So so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, guys, listen, I could could write page after page after page telling you about all the painful stuff that's happened to me. I I mean, I I could tell you about all the difficulties I've had to endure for the sake of the gospel, and I've had to endure them. He says, I could, I could write page after page after page about telling you how, how, how tough it's been for me and how much pain I've gone through, or, and this is what I choose, Paul says, or I could spend the rest of this letter telling you about how what has happened to me has been used and has served to move the purposes of God forward. And Paul says, for me... I would much rather focus on what God is doing through me than what's happening to me. I would much rather focus on what God is doing through my circumstances rather than sitting and just focusing on what what, what a terrible shape I'm in and all that kind of stuff. In other words, what Paul is saying is: listen, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, I'm not a victim. He, he says, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not a victim. Paul says. It doesn't matter what's happened to me. I'm not going to be a victim to those things. I'm a conqueror. Listen, I'm afraid that for so many of us, we we spend so much of our time focused on all of the bad stuff that's happened to us you know, all the difficulties we've had to face and how tough life is. And, and, and when we pray, uh, most of our prayers are oriented around trying to convince God to change our situation. And we're in this situation, but we've got the solution. And if we could just convince God, because he doesn't know what the solution is yet. And if we could just convince him that this is the solution, then it would, it would just make everything so much better. And, and he needs to know, we got a plan. And most of our prayers revolve around that, and our primary motivation when we pray like that is we want to feel better, and we want our lives to be more comfortable. But listen, what if, and this is a revolutionary thought, but what if God is more interested in changing you than he is in changing your situation? What if God is more interested in changing you than he is your situation? Listen, you don't have to like this message. I'm preaching it, and I don't necessarily like it. But it's true. I mean, God will sacrifice always our level of comfort in order to build his character within us and accomplish his purposes through us. You see, God's not nearly as concerned as our, of our level of comfort as we are. He's more concerned about who we are in relationship to him and and developing us and making us into who he created us to be and then launching us as weapons out into the world. God is more interested in taking whatever situation he's allowed us to be in and working through that situation in order to grow us and to change us and to impact the world. He's more interested in that than changing the situation. I mean, Paul is like, you know what? Yeah, it'd be awesome to get out of this prison. Uh, and, and, and don't think that Paul didn't talk to God about that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask God. He said we need to ask, we need to seek, and we need to knock. But as we learned last week, sometimes when we do that, God's answer to us is no or not yet. And Paul says, yeah, it would be awesome to be out of this prison. I mean, I've talked to God about that, but, but I find myself, I'm still here. And Paul says, because I trust God, I know who he is, and I know that his ways are higher than my ways, and his plans are greater than my plans. He says, then while I'm here, if he's got me here, obviously he also may ha- must have something that he wants to accomplish by my being here. And so Paul says... If God wants to do something with me, even if it means me being in chains, Paul says, man, I'm not going to resist him because I trust him. And so he says, God, use me however you want to use me. In other words, Paul says, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be a weapon. And that's what he was. Man, you talk about faith. I mean, again, we're, 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 we're not... Talking elementary truths here. You, you talk about faith. I mean, you, you think it takes faith to believe that God could change your situation, and it does. But this is faith on steroids. This is, this is faith to the, to, the, to the multiplication of infinity. I mean, this is faith on steroids, to truly believe that God, because he's God, and because, like we talked about last week, he has the ability to see what we can't see. And so he sees the implications of everything. He sees how he can take even the stuff that may be painful for us And he can take it and he can use it to change us and to make us more like Jesus. And at the same time, he can take what we're going through and he can use it to impact a whole bunch of other people's lives. I mean, it takes real faith to look at what you're going through and understand that there's there's it's about more than simply what I feel in the moment. There's a bigger picture. It's about more than just how comfortable I am. It takes real faith to understand that sometimes God wants to take and use the very situations that we would pray away to do things that can only be done through situations we wouldn't choose for ourselves. Listen, what I'm I'm teaching this morning, I'm telling you, it's it's not kindergarten level faith. This is master degree level faith. You see, you see, what I'm trying to say is that some of the stuff that, that's happening in your lives right now, some of you are sitting here this morning, some of the stuff that, that's happening in your life right now, it may not feel good, but actually, see, Paul says, but actually there's something else going on. I mean, in the moment, it may be painful. In the moment, it may feel like, man, this thing's going to take me out. But listen, the real reason you're experiencing what you've experienced is because actually God wants to take it and use it and make you stronger or kinder or more sensitive to others who are going through or going to go through what you're going through. You see, Paul says, actually, That's that's an interesting interpretation, isn't it? Paul, you know, he's been through some tough stuff. He's he's seasoned. He's he's mature in his faith. He's developed this ability to see beyond just what's taking place in the physical. And he says, look, I may be in chains, but I am in chains for Christ. Listen, I may be in chains, and, and on the surface, it may look like I'm chained to these guards, but actually, they're chained to me. You see, the chain goes both ways. It's just how you see it. Paul says, they think that I'm chained to them, but really God has put me there, and so they're chained to me. And he says, you know what? They, 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 they don't understand what's going on because I'm going to do the same thing I've always been doing. I'm just going to continue sharing the good news of Jesus. And so it doesn't matter to me whether I'm sharing it with you in Philippi or whether I'm here in this prison chained to this guard, sharing it with them. See, they thought they've got me confined, but the reality is I've got them captive. They can't get away from me, man. Ain't nothing better for a preacher to have a captive audience. (laughs) He said, I can preach as long as I want. They gotta be here with me 24-7. And so they're gonna hear about the goodness of Jesus over and over and over and over again. And God's gonna use it the way he's always used it. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. He's put me here. They think I'm chained to them, but they're chained to me. And we know that as a result of Paul's imprisonment, that there were Roman guards who came to know Christ, the entire families who named to know Christ, or came to know Christ, and people in Rome came to know Jesus because of Paul's chains. Paul says, you know what? They think, they think they've got me captive, but actually, I've got them captive. He, he says, so Paul says, you know what? Don't worry about me. Uh, don't, don't, don't circulate a petition to try to get me out of prison because God is bigger than my situation. Don't just look at the circumstances on the surface. See, you got to look deeper than that. That's why prayer is so important. We can see only what we can see. We need to ask God to help us see what he can see in the Spirit. Paul says, don't look at my circumstances and don't react to me, what my situation based on my circumstances. He says, he says, you know, there's something way more important going on here than whether I just feel comfortable or not. There's a bigger picture here. Paul says, don't be mistaken. I am not a victim to my circumstances. God has called me to a greater purpose than just what makes me feel good. I'm a weapon. I'm not a victim. I wonder how many of us could say that about the situation that we find ourselves in today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the midst of a situation that's totally out of your control. And you're going through something that you didn't choose. I wonder how many of us are are so busy praying for God to get us out of stuff. You know, God, I need a new job. God, I need a new place to live. God, I need more money. God, I need a new car. God, I need a new husband. Don't look at him. It's awkward. (laughs) God, I just need for you to change my situation. Uh, I wonder how many of us are busy asking God to get us out that we miss the fact that God is trying to get in to our pain. I didn't expect an amen on that. I kind of did. You see, Paul has reached the point in his life, and and I hope that I can get there one day. I'm I'm not saying I'm there yet, but Paul is at this point in his life where he can say, you know what, whatever the circumstances are, good, bad, life, death, whatever happens to me, he says, I just want God to use it to bring glory to Jesus and his kingdom. You see, there's more going on here than meets the eye, and it's bigger than who I am. Paul Paul has entered into a deep place here that I believe that God wants to call all of us into. This isn't a place just for the apostle Paul, but somehow Paul has gotten a bigger vision than just himself, and he's got a bigger vision than just what's taking place in his life. He's got a vision of the kingdom. He's got a vision that Jesus wants to use him to make an impact in the world. It's kind of like a few, few years ago, um, I heard Francis Chan speak. And while he was speaking, he, he, he had this big rope. He got, I don't know, it was about 40 foot long and, you know, it went, went on and on. And, and, and he said, imagine that both ends of this rope never ended, that they just went on for infinity. And he said, think about that, 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 that this rope represents, that goes on and on and on for infinity, this rope represents eternity. And then in the middle of the rope, there was a little red piece of tape about this wide. And he said, The red tape represents your life here on this planet. And he said, So many of us, we spend all of our time, all of our thoughts, all of our plans, all of our all of our thinking uh, revolves around that little red strip of tape when the reality is there's so much more. And Paul says, I get it, I get it. It's about the kingdom. It's about the fact that Jesus came and he died for me and he he invited me into something that's bigger than me. And so it's not about me anymore. It's about what can he do through me and how can he use me? I mean, Jesus gave me everything, Paul says, so I'm going to give him everything. It's a a different way of framing things. I I love verse 18. Paul says this. He says, but what does it matter? That, That would be a... That would be a good verse to memorize. You know, do you know how much stress would go away? Do you know how much sleep you get at night if you just memorize that verse and live by it? But what does it matter? That's not even the whole verse. But, but, but Paul, says, Paul says, what does it matter? Just that verse would help you stop worrying about stuff that God's already got figured out. It would help you, it would help you not lose sleep. You see, the scripture says that God never sleeps or he never slumbers. So if he's awake, why, not, why, do, why don't we just sleep? He's already got it figured out. He's already awake. We don't need to stay awake worrying about it. But what does it matter? Paul says, but what does it matter? Instead, Paul says, the important thing is, now listen. Whatever we put in the blank following that statement, the important thing is that is what our joy is connected to. Paul says, but what does it matter? One thing is, Paul says, for me, the important thing is not that I get everything that I want or not that I live as comfortable and as carefully of a life as I want. You know, he says, the important thing is not that my stock portfolio continues to grow. That's not the most important thing for me. Paul says, instead, where I'm going to find my joy is that Christ is preached. The important thing is that Christ is preached. The important thing is. I wonder how many of us really have that figured out. The the, the important thing is, you see, whatever we, we, we use to fill in the blank, that's what our joy is connected to. So if the important thing for us is money, that means that our joy is connected to our finances. Here's a tough thing about that. So, when the money's up, our joy is up. But when the money's down, if, if the most important thing is that relationship, you know, what another human being thinks or feels about you, man, when, when they think you're awesome, then our joy level is up. But when they don't, You see, whatever we we fill in the blank with, that is what our joy is connected to. And Paul says, for me, the important thing is that the purposes of God are moving forward. The important thing is that the gospel is being preached. That's the most important thing for me. And because that's most important, that means that regardless of what Paul's circumstances are, Paul says, you know what, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself because what's most important to me, what gives me joy, is making sure that the purposes of God are moving forward, and I can do that regardless of what my circumstances are. If God, In fact, if God can use my circumstances to move his kingdom and his purpose forward, then Paul says, for me, that is a win. It doesn't matter whether I live or whether I die it's a win for me. As long as the purposes of God get moved forward, that's what I signed up for, Paul says. I think about all the things that we want to pray away in our lives, all the things that we don't like. And we talked about this last week, but, but if you've prayed and you prayed and you prayed and your situation hasn't changed, don't quit praying. Instead, maybe what you need to do is change your prayer. You know, we don't quit praying. We don't say, well, that didn't work. Instead, we change the prayer. And instead of saying, God, would you change my circumstance? How about instead praying, God, use whatever you're allowing me to go through to make sure that I'm more like you and it's being used for your purpose, your kingdom. Lord, let your kingdom be moved forward. If you're not going to change it, use it. I'm, I'm giving you some good stuff here, guys. How, how to live, not as a victim. Too many of us, we have these things, these circumstances in our lives, and they're out here and we can't control them, and yet they control us. And Paul says we don't have to live that way. We don't have to be a victim. Let, let, me, let me just show you one last thing. In, in this, this letter that, uh, that Paul wrote to these people that he loved, and th- th- this, this was, um, it, it was typical when a letter like this was written that uh, it would be taken... Remember, the church in Philippi, it wasn't a church like this. It was a bunch of house churches. People met in people's homes. and So it was very typical that when a letter like this would be written, it would be circulated through those house churches and through the community. And and so... um, Paul, he's written this letter, and it's being circulated amongst the the community, and the people, you know, they've been praying for Paul, and they're anxious to hear how Paul's doing, and I'm sure many of them, you know, would have the same question we would have. Is he going to get out anytime soon? You know, what's the status? How you doing, Paul? And, And Paul says in this letter, he says, listen, whatever happens to me will turn out for my deliverance, which is weird because Paul doesn't know what's going to happen next, right? I mean, he just said earlier, he's like, I don't know, I might live or I might die. I might go see Jesus or I might be stuck here with you. He says, either way, I'm going to be good because I'm not a victim. And so I know it's going to work out for my deliverance, and he says, God, you know, what, what, what God's going to do, God's going to do, he's going to use me here, he's going to take me home, and if he leaves me here, I know he's got something important for me to do. If he takes me home, then I get to be with him forever, so I'm good either way. Wouldn't it be good to live that way? What does it matter, you know? But, but watch this, and I, wanna help, I want you to help me with this, because if we count the number of times in the next 10 verses that Paul says the word will... If we, if we count those together, let's see what we get. And I want you to just count them out loud, okay? So I'm going to read this, and we're going to begin at the end of verse 18. Paul says, yes, and I will. That's number one, so you say one. Good, we, we can count to one. That's good. All right, he says, yes, I will. That's one. Continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall, now shall is kind of like the word will, so we're going to count that as number seven, so say seven, okay? So, what shall, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, Paul says, I know that I will Amen. remain and I will Continue with all of you for your progress. In other words, what Paul says is, I understand that what's happened to me is not about me. It's not always about me moving up. It's not always about my progress. It's not always about my feelings, my preference, my convenience, my plans. He says it's not about me. He says I'll remain for your progress and joy in the faith that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will... And that's number 10, abound on account of me. 10 verses, 10 times. Paul is so clear. He's so definitive. He doesn't use the word might or maybe. It's always will. God will do this. This will be accomplished. This will happen. He's so clear. He wants us to understand that the kind of faith that he has, it's not a faith in question. The kind of faith that he has, it's not dependent upon the outcome even. Listen, if the truth were to be known, for many of us, when it comes to our faith, so often our faith is a faith that is totally dependent, not on Christ, but whatever the outcome is. I'm going to say that again. Way too often, the faith that we have is more dependent on the outcome than it is on Christ. You need to read Hebrews chapter... 11 talks about these it's kind of a hall of fame of faith and the people who had great faith through scripture and it says that many of them never lived to see the very thing that they had prayed for but yet they are considered to be in the hall of fame of faith they never based their faith on the outcome they based it on who God is and who they knew God to be you know, we, we, we tend to base our faith on the outcome, you know, if we, we see ourselves benefiting or if we see our own progress or if we see God moving in such a way that causes uh, us physically to do better or for us physically to be more comfortable than we were before, then we get excited and we have great faith and we press on. But boy, when that doesn't happen. You see, Paul, on the other hand, he says, you know what, because I'm not a victim to my circumstances." Not only is my faith not tied to my circumstances, it's not tied to my outcome either. In other words, because I've given my life to Jesus, then I trust Jesus with the process. Because I've given my life to Jesus, I I trust him with the process. And I'm telling you, this idea for many of us is a foreign idea because way too often our faith is tied to what we see and what we feel and what we know. Are we experiencing progress? And for many of us, if we don't see our own benefit, then our faith is challenged. You know, if my personal life isn't getting better, if my stock portfolio isn't getting higher, and my retirement account getting better, and, and, and everything that I, all my needs are taken care of, all my wants are taken care of, then our faith is challenged. And we wonder, we begin to wonder, what's wrong with God? Or maybe what's wrong with us? And we might even get mad at God, and so we quit seeking him in prayer. I mean, you know, after all, we were very clear in giving God the instructions of how he could make our lives better, and he didn't do it. So obviously, this prayer thing doesn't work. But Paul, he's so amazing. You see, he's trying to help us understand what is totally counterintuitive to our human nature And he's like, he's like in his mind, he's like, how can I help these guys understand what I'm trying to teach them? How how can I make them understand? And so, and so the apostle Paul does something that you can only do when you're the apostle Paul. He makes up a word and he puts it in the Bible. He does. He just makes up this word. It's found in verse 20. And in English, it takes a few words to get the idea across. He says, I eagerly expect and hope. In Greek, that's all one word. And Paul is the only one to ever use it. It's used one other time in Scripture, and Paul uses it there too. It's like he's sitting there in that prison, and he's like, he's like I know God's got a plan. I, I know God is at work, and I'm praying that he gets me out, but I'm convinced that even if he doesn't, he, he's still God, and, his, and, and, and in his goodness, his purpose is not dependent upon whatever my circumstances are. And so Paul says, even though I'm here, because God is with me and God is at work, I'm not going to be a victim to my situation because God is greater than my situation and my hope is not in my situation. And so I eagerly expect and I hope. And he makes up this word. And the word in the Greek is a word that I cannot pronounce very well. The hallelujah, yes. It's apokradochia. Apocrydochia. You guys wouldn't know if I could pronounce it right or not. Apocrydochia. Apo means to turn away or to intentionally ignore. Man, I could, I could preach an entire series on the word apo To turn away and intentionally ignore. Man, there, sometimes there's stuff in our lives that we just need to turn away from and we just need to ignore. Stuff that we think is so important that really isn't that important at all. And we just need to turn away from it and ignore it. We need to turn away from things that attempt to steal our energy and attention and joy. We need to turn away from things that 20 years from now, nobody's going to remember, nobody's going to care about, and it just doesn't matter. And we put so much attention on those things, and we just need to turn away from things. I'm serious about this. We, We get so wrapped up in our own personal circumstances that we forget that whatever our circumstance is, there is a God that is greater our circumstance. You know, it's kind of the old, you've heard this before, you know, whatever we focus on enlarges in our eyes. And so we can either tell God about how big our storm is, or we can tell the storm about how big our God is. Yes. And we focus on these things and we need to turn away from those things. Whatever that circumstance is, we need to remember that there is a God that is greater. And while we may think we are, he is not bound to our circumstance. Apo, that's the prefix to turn. Kara means head, and that's all it means, head. Turn your head. Dokia, and I love this. It means to stretch forward. So Paul says, listen, listen. I'm turning my head away, and I'm ignoring all this other stuff, man. I mean, I could. I could focus on all these things. I could, unfo- I could focus on how, how unfair this situation is. I could focus on how confined I feel. I could focus on all the stuff that I'm missing out on. Paul says I could do that, but instead, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to turn away, and I'm going to stretch my head forward, apocrydochea. Man, I think we could all use a little bit of apocrydochia in our life, couldn't we? I mean, the next time the enemy comes and he tries to remind you how bad you've blown it in the past, what if instead of focusing all that and getting all caught up in that, what if instead you said, you know what, I'm just going to break out some apocrydochia. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to stretch my head forward. I'm going to ignore all that stuff, and instead, I'm just going to point to the goodness of God and the love of God and the forgiveness that I have found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn away from that, and I'm going to stretch my head forward. Paul says, listen, it's true. I mean, I'm not sticking my head in the sand, and I'm not denying the reality of my situation. It's true. I am in this cell. But what I want you to understand is that I am not a victim to the cell. He says, I'm in the cell, but I'm not a victim to the cell. And because I have shifted my eyes, I've shifted my focus, I've turned away and I've stretched my head forward. He says, because I've done that, even though I may not be the most comfortable I've ever been, what I do know is that God is with me. And if God is with me, then I'm right where I need to be because the only place I want to be is where God is with me. Whatever that looks like. He says, This may be hard, but the important thing is that I am convinced that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So Paul says, If it takes these chains to change me, or if it takes these chains, you know, I think, I think. It's easier for us to grab a hold of the fact that if these chains change me, because we tend to be so focused about ourselves. But what's harder is, Paul says, if it takes these chains to change somebody else, then count me in, chain me up. I'll be chained for the gospel of Jesus Christ as long as Jesus Christ gets the glory from my chains. I'm not a victim. I'm a weapon. Do you know we really can live like that? We really can. It it doesn't mean that our difficulties aren't difficult. I mean, they call them that for a reason, right? It doesn't mean that we don't pretend that our pain is not painful. It's painful. What it means is we can actually live at a place where we say, Jesus I trust you so much. And because you gave yourself to me and I've given myself to you, then I'm no longer mine anymore. And so I, I, I'm, I'm a weapon in your hands and so you can use me however you want to use me. See, the problem is most of us don't live our lives as a weapon in God's hands. Instead, we live our lives as a utensil up on the shelf. Ouch. We do. We do. And Paul says, listen, God created you for purpose. Every single one of you. God created you for purpose. And when you are a weapon in the hands of God, then it's no longer about you. It's about him and what he can do through you. Are you willing to be used? And are you willing... To allow him even to use the difficult situations in your life. Will you allow him to use the good, the bad, the ugly things that have happened in your life? You don't have to be a victim. Just stand with me and bow your heads. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a a situation that maybe you've been asking God to change and he hadn't done it yet. Could, could, could I just suggest that maybe the reason he hasn't is because he's trying to use the situation to change you? <laughs> maybe what God wants to do this morning is He wants to work on your heart and your mind, where you no longer see yourself as a victim to your circumstances, but instead, you, because you have turned and stretched your head forward in faith, that God will show you how He wants to work through. What you've gone through and what you're going through, God will. One of the things we say around here is God will never waste a hurt. We do, but God will never waste the hurt. And so this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, uh, we recognize today that this is not a like a easy yay, jump and holler, celebrate type of teaching or message. But Father, it's true, and you've called us to a deeper place, and Lord, forgive us for the times where we live so much, where it's so focused on us, and and what we can get, and how our lives can get better. And Lord, the way our lives get better is the fact that you're in it, and then you equip us and you work through us. And so Father, my prayer this morning is regardless of what we're going through today, Lord, there are some here this morning who find themselves in the midst of circumstances that they never planned on that they never brought upon themselves, that have come upon them without, without their choice. There are those who their relationship has fallen apart, a spouse has turned and walked away. That There are those who have been mistreated by, by individuals and they've been hurt deeply in their heart and the hurt is real. There are those who have struggled financially and there are those who, who long to have a, a, a spouse or relationship it hasn't happened. They've longed to have children and it hasn't happened or they've lost a child. Father, so many things that we, we suffer through in this life because this is a fallen world and we live in a broken, fallen world. And, and, and your word says that one of the things that we can count on is that in this world we will have trouble. But we're so thankful this morning that you don't stop right there. Your word goes on to say, but we don't have to fear because you've already overcome all of the trouble that we'll face in this world. And so, Lord, our prayer is since you've already overcome it, we're going through it. Father, our prayer is that if we've got to go through it, that you would use it. And we want to give you permission to do that right now. Lord, whatever our situation is, would you use it to make us more like you? Lord, would you use it to deepen our dependence upon you and increase our faith in you? Lord, would you use it to break our hearts for the things that break your hearts? Lord, if we're going through through something, more than likely there's somebody else that's probably here in this room that's going through something similar, and maybe, maybe you could use us to be an encouragement to them. Lord, would you use what we're going through? And may we be able to say the important thing is that the gospel is being preached, that the kingdom is being established, that your purposes are being accomplished. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use us in that way. And so, Father, this morning, you know the stuff that I have in my own life, my own hurts and my own struggles and all those things, and in my own heart, I lift those up to you and say, God, if you can use them, if you can take these, and these can be my chains like Paul's, and you can use them to further the gospel, then have at it. And all across this room, Father, I know others are praying that same prayer, Lord, here it is. Here's what I'm going through. This is my circumstance. If you're going to allow me to go through it, would you please use it? That's our prayer today. And we have confidence in knowing that, that you will. And so we trust you this morning and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.